Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My father's nickname was Top. And I remember when Tom DeBella was telling me and uh, Carmine Lombardozzi, they said, why do you think they call your father Top? So I don't know why. Remember episode one, when Anthony spoke briefly about his father? Well, if not, here it is, to refresh your memory. My father's brothers were involved in the organized crime. My father, who I thought was a legitimate guy, but that's another story I found out later on, my father was not that legitimate as I thought he was. Right. So I've had the play deal, Camp Lejeune, Captain Bass, the infamous dog, sniper missions, torturing people, and Shirley Chisholm. Might have missed a couple of things there. Either way, there's been a lot to take in. So let's take a breather and dedicate an episode to Anthony's father. After all, this caper is a family thing. My grandfather came here from Italy, him and my grandma, they came here. He, my grandfather settled on uh, Colombian Hicks. They had an apartment upstairs. I was above a bakery called Chofi's Bakery. And my grandfather had a barbershop across the street, so I didn't nickname him Tony the Barber. But he was all connected with the Black Hand, my grandfather. They were all his relatives in it, cousins, uncles, aunts, whatever. And he had an apartment upstairs above the bakery. And it turned out after a while he was paying rent. And then something happened between him and the landlord, and he wasn't paying rent no more. What I gotta do? Then the bakery guy downstairs got smart with my grandmother one day. Turns out then that my grandfather had a 50% interest in the bakery. Yeah, I didn't give a shit one way or the other. I used to go in there and get pastries and everything for free. We didn't care. Anyway, he had a barbershop across the street. Tom DeBello used to come in there. Iggy used to come in there. Leone, Carlo Gambino, they used to go and see my grandfather. My father used to work there, and he'd go out to go to work. My father, and he'd come home. My father never bothered nobody as a kid. Quiet guy, whatever. One day he was on uh, he was on Columbia Street and he got in a fight with a kid. And the kid went and pulled a gun out on my father. My father hit him. Kid went down. He dropped the gun. My father kicked the shit out of him, put him in the hospital. And who was there was Tom DeBella. Walked on. Now, Tom DeBella at that time was already a captain in the family. So we're going back like a lot, a lot of years. He was already a big man and he was very young. Tom, I think, was maybe in his like late 20s, and he was already a captain in the family. He had a lot, a lot of pull, this guy. He gets my father because he knew my father. Told my father to pick up the gun, and my father went to hand him the gun. Tom says, no, he goes, I want you to carry the gun on you. My father didn't think so. My father started carrying the gun on him. He went, and he saw my grandfather, and my grandfather knew what happened, and Tom told everybody in the neighborhood, this is Tony the Barber's son. So they gave my father a white bird. And just like that, Anthony's father was protected, given a wide berth, which in mafia terms means a certain sense of freedom, I guess you could say. We've heard about how Anthony hit the streets at a young age and started working for the family. Well, it's safe to say it was in his blood. One day, my father's on Hick Street, and he's walking there. Tom DeBella and Uncle Lee Leone. The Leones have been connected with my family for years, all cousins and whatever. Two of them are talking, and they're walking on Hick Street. 
And uh, my father's about maybe, I don't know, seven, eight feet behind him. He's walking. You know, he's following them because he was going where they were going. Two guys come running up behind my father. They push my father to the ground. One guy pulls out a gun. My father seen it. He took the gun out. He killed both guys. When the gunshots went off, Uncle Iggy hit the floor. Tom DeBella hit the floor. It was a hit. We don't know if it was on Tom DeBella. We don't know if it was on Iggy Leone. But my father had the gun. He, bl- he bl- killed the two of them right down the spot. They took my father. They sent him up to the farm. My grandmother had a farm up in Newburgh, New York. He was there for about a week. He came back. Cops were all through the neighborhood. Detectives, anybody, nobody seen nothing. They all knew my father did it. But nobody seen anything that happened. I've mentioned it before, the phrase, above the law. Even before Anthony came into this world, the five families had everyone by the balls, especially the cops. But a young Anthony, just a child, could never quite figure out why his father would get up in the middle of the night. He'd go around. My father didn't, like I said, didn't bother nobody. But if you looked at him crooked, he broke your fucking jaw. He didn't waste no time. Then he got drafted, my father, and he went to World War II. He was in Angio Beachhead, Normandy, seen uh, South Algiers, Iraq, Iran. He was combat all over. When he came home from the service, my grandma used to tell me he was never the same. He was asleep on the roof. He couldn't sleep in the house and in the bed. Grandma used to go, well, what's the matter? He goes, no, I got to watch out for the house. I got to protect the house. Just something inside him just wasn't right with him at, uh, at that age from all the combat. Anyway, he starts going to work for Tom DeBella. And he starts going to work for Uncle Iggy Leone. Throughout the years, it's going on. And my father's growing up. And, you know, he's doing whatever he's doing. He meets my mother. He marries my mother. And I come along. When I was born, we were living on Baltic Street. My grandfather had a house. My mother's father, Frank Castle, who was Frank Costello's cousin. When I was born, my Uncle Lucky came in from Italy. Maya Lansky, everybody came in. Carl Gambino, they were all there. All right, the years are going by. And like, you know, you know, I want to be like my uncles. And finally, I got in. So I remember my father, he always used to get up about 3 o'clock in the morning, get dressed, you know, put his jeans on, this, that, the boots, take the longshoreman hook, boom, he'd go down to the pier, and he'd come home about 3, 3.30 in the afternoon, every day like clockwork. Every now and then, my father would go, all right, he'd tell my mother, he goes, Mary, I'm going out, I'll be gone in a couple of hours. He used to go in the basement of the house, and I used to hear him making noise down there, but I didn't think nothing of it. He comes up. And my Uncle Frank or my cousin Mac used to pick him up. They would take off. Then maybe my father would come in about maybe uh, 11, 12 o'clock. Goes to bed, up again at 3.30 in the morning, boom, right down to the piers, comes home again, same thing. And I used to wonder, what's with my father? Now, my Uncle Sal was involved in stuff, which is my father's younger brother. My Uncle Joe, which was my father's older brother, he was doing Shylocking. My Uncle Nino, who was the next youngest brother, he was into, you know, like swag and stuff like that. My Uncle Sal was into everything. The only thing, they were, they were never into drugs. None of my uncles or my father's into drugs. They were all involved. My grandfather's involved. My other grandfather's involved. The cousins, this, but my father goes to work. I couldn't understand this figure. You know, couldn't get it through the head. My old man went to work all the time. I said, all right, as far as I knew, my father worked in the pier in the hull of the ship because he used to have the longshoreman hook, moving the bales and picking up the cargo and stuff. A secret, a somewhat naive Anthony. The family hid the truth from him about his father's occupation for quite a while. Until one day, down on the docks, Anthony took matters into his own hands to protect the old man. So we get a call that there's a meeting down on Pier 7. 
there was me, Tom DeBella, Uncle Iggy came down, Carlo Gambino. You had Tough Tony, I called him. He was the boss of the uh, of the peers. Anyway, I'm on the pier, and I see this de- this delegate I know, Joe Fish. And I hear him yelling at somebody on the ship, you motherfucker, when I tell you, you cocksucker, I'll throw you in the fucking ocean. So I told my cousin, like me, who the fuck is Joe yelling at? I said, whoever it is, this guy better watch it. Joe, kick his fucking ass. I turn around, I see my father. He's yelling at my father. I went fucking berserk. I went after him. They grabbed me. They said, no, no, don't touch me. I said, I'll cut his fucking heart out. I said, he knows that's my father. He talks like that. And I'll fucking take his fucking head off and hang it on the ship. Leave it alone. My cousin told him, look, why did they tell me to leave it alone? So I said, I'm fucking steaming now. We go to go into the office and I tell my cousin, I said, listen, I forgot the cigars. My cigars in the car. I want to go back and get them. He said, all right, go ahead. I go back and I see Joe Fish. I tap him on the shoulder. I said, Joe. Say, what do you want? As you know, that's my father. Yeah, so what? You talk to my father like that? You know who I am? You talk to my father? So what? I gave him a fucking beat when he said, so what? I broke his fucking rib. I fractured his arm, his shoulder. Meanwhile, somebody runs into the office and says, Anthony's out there. He says he's killing the guy in the middle of the fucking pier. I mean, I went to work on this guy. Everybody comes running out and they fucking grab me. Carmine Lombardoza was there. And I'm over there. I'll take, I'll chew his fucking lungs out. This guy was fucked up, and they had to get an ambulance to take him off the pier. Now, remember, this guy was a delegate. So Tom DeBella, he goes, what the fuck is wrong with you? I said, he talks to my father like that? So Tom goes to me, he goes, don't you know? I said, don't I know what? So Carmine Lombardoza comes over. He goes, Hanty, you really don't know? I said, what am I supposed to know? Now they were all looking at me, so they asked my cousin Mac. They said, Mac, does he know? My cousin said, no, he doesn't. I said, what the fuck am I supposed to know? What was there, a fucking secret over here? Tom DeBella says, come here, let me talk to you. And he comes over with, uh, with uh, Carmine uh, Lombardoza. He says, you go home tonight, I'm going to talk to your father. Your father's going to explain you everything. So I'm looking, I'm like, what do you mean he's going to explain everything? My father works for a living. He says, for practicality, your father works for a living. But he should have told you this a long, long time ago. I says, what is it? You'll let your father tell you. Vicious and unforgiving. That sounds like Anthony. Poor Joe Fish. Wrong place at the wrong time, you could say. Now, all would be revealed as Anthony's father prepared himself and finally lifted the lid about his true identity. I got home that night. My father says, come on, let's go in the yard. I want to talk to you. I said, what's up? He goes, the guy Joe Fish and me, we're friends. He goes, that's an act. What the fuck has he got to act with you for? I said, you work on the ship. My father looks at me, he says, evidently, he goes, well, I should have told you this a long time ago. I said, what is it, Pop? He goes, I work for the National Commission. I I said, what? He goes, I'm a shooter. He goes, wait, he goes, how do you think we live so fucking good? You think we live so good by earning the salary from the longshoremen? I mean, back then, the longshoremen was taking home maybe 275, 300, 350 a week, something like that. But we lived good. I mean, we had the best furniture, uh, food, cars, everything. So I looked at him, I said, you got to be fucking kidding. He says, no. And then Tom DeBello and them told me the story about my father, like I told you about when he was 16. So I says, why the fuck didn't you ever tell me this? He goes, I didn't want you involved in this. You don't want me involved. You're fucking killing guys for a fucking living, and you don't want me involved. I said, you got to be fucking kidding me. He says, look, he says, I'm telling you now what it is. This is what it is. He says, your mother, she has the suspicions, but she doesn't know. I said, right. He said, but now you got to make it right with this guy, Joe Fish. I mean, I put this guy in the fucking hospital. 
That's all right. So then my father explained to me, he doesn't work for the New York Commission. He works for the National Commission, the whole head that's around the country. They need a piece of work done. Guy gets in touch with him. He does the work. But nobody, it would be like, you want him to get do a piece of work for you. So you get to the commission. The commission says, all right, you're going to go over here. But nobody knew who did the work. And it was like, I may kill somebody in your family. The next week it's somebody in his, whatever the situation is. But nobody knew that it was me. They just know that Frankie works for the National Commission. Because that's way there's no animosity between everybody. So that's what my father's doing. And when he used to go down the cellar at night, he was going down the cellar. He was getting his gun ready getting the gun sounds or whatever it is, putting it all together, coming back up, going out, he clips the guy and he comes back. Why do you think we live so good? That's the line. Perhaps Anthony felt a little silly, embarrassed at the time. Luxurious cars, nice food, quality furniture. It all finally made sense to Anthony. And for me, putting this together, and you the listeners, it actually does make sense why Anthony was a natural in Vietnam, entrusted as a top marksman. When there was a job to be done, Raimondi Sr. and Jr. would always execute. He told me a story. He went to um, he went to Bridgeport, Connecticut, which was a famous spot for everybody getting whacked back then. What happened was the Gambino people in Connecticut, which was Frankie Piccolo, he was the head, they wanted to get this guy whacked. But they didn't want to get anybody from the Gambinos because where this guy went was his hangout. So if anybody else walked in, he'd get suspicious right away, anybody from the families. Now, my father walking in there would be no big deal because my father went back and forth to Connecticut. My father, I remember, he got ready tonight. He was wearing a suit. He had a fedora, everything. He looked like a million fucking dollars. He thought he was going to a wedding. Gets dressed. My cousin picks him up, going to Bridgeport, Connecticut. My father walks into place, nice, nice. She's like, hey, Frank, hey, Jimmy, how you doing? They hug, kiss each other. Good, I've been all right. And meanwhile, sitting at the table with about six people. My father walks past him. My father turned, as he walked past him, my father just turned around and put three bullets on the back of his head. My father just walked out of the place. Nobody seen nothing. Nobody said nothing. They didn't know what was what. All they knew was they seen this guy's head explode at the table. And my father walked out and he came back home that night. It's pretty clear that Anthony was cut from the same cloth as his father. Now, with egg on his face, there was a moment of remorse. Anthony needed to sort out his misdemeanor with Joe Fish and would do so in typical mafia fashion. Now I gotta go make things right with this guy, Joe Fish. I go see a friend of mine, he used to own Bensonhurst Cadillac. As soon as I walked in, he goes, Anthony, I heard what happened yesterday. I the fuck, the whole fucking neighborhood? He goes, Anthony, everybody knows. He says, what do you need? I said, I gotta make it right with this guy. I said, I was fucking wrong. God, I didn't, you know. As well, I was wrong and I wasn't. My father should have told me, but all right, either way. He gives me a Cadillac Coupe de Ville for cost. He said, Anthony, don't worry about it. When I pay for it, you pay for it. That's it. I get the car. I said, all right. I said, what we're going to do when he comes out of the hospital, we'll deliver it to him. He said, no problem. Now I got to go to the hospital to see this guy. I walk in the room. He's got a tube up his fucking nose. He's got another tube in his chest. He's got a fucking cast on his arm, on his ribs. This guy seen me, he started panicking like this. He's hitting the button for the fucking nurse. He thought I was going to kill him. I says, Joe, listen, I'm here to talk to you. This guy, the sweat that came off this guy, I thought the guy was going to take a fucking heart attack and a stroke and die there. I said, listen, I didn't know this thing between you and my father it was just a game because the FBI is always watching my father and stuff. I had no idea that you were friends. I only found out last night. So he looks at me and says, well, look, I'm sorry for what happened, but when you come out, I'm going to make it right with you. 
back then, a gift or two would do the trick and an expensive one at that. I'm not talking about a card from the post office, a box of chocolates or some flowers from the supermarket. The mafia didn't muck around. About two weeks go by, they told me that Joe Fish came out of the hospital. They waited another week and a half went by and they said he's at the pier today. I got my cousin Mac, he took the Cadillac, I took my car, and we went down to Pier 7, and he's inside talking to Anthony, the boss. So I walk in, now, this guy sees me walking in, this guy started fucking shaking. I'm saying, wow, this guy's really fucking paranoid to me. So Anthony goes, what's up? I said, I gotta see Joe. He goes, what's wrong? I said, I got something from outside. Don't worry about it, he goes, Joe, go with him. This guy wouldn't leave the office. We had to practically drag him out of the fucking office. He thought he was gonna get whacked. I'm walking with him and I got my arm around his shoulder. I'm telling him, Joe, listen, I'm sorry. I'm going to make it up to you. So as we're getting closer to the car, I said, Joe, do me a favor. He said, I said, stay here. I said, close your eyes. I thought this guy was going to drop dead. He was so fucked. I said, close your eyes. I said, I got a surprise for you. Yeah, he closed his eyes. This guy had him like this. He was like waiting for the fucking bullet or hit a bang of the gun. My cousin pulls up at the car. I said, Joe, open your eyes. He won't open his eyes. I said, Joe, open your fucking eyes, really. He opened his eyes and said, you see that car? I said, yeah, this is yours. I said, I'm sorry for what happened. I gave him the Cadillac. He looked at me like, you can see the color came back in his face again. And he stank. I said, no, I want to thank you, Joe. I said, you know, I didn't know. But he had a limp for a long time. He had a limp. This guy. I gave, he, was, he was cruising around the fucking town in that Cadillac like, you know, what the fuck? He like, you know, what the fuck I gave him? But I told my father, you can never tell, not keep anything from me anymore. You can't. Okay, I mean... I'm already involved. I'm getting straightened out. And, you know, you're over here doing what you got to do. You got you should have told me this from the beginning. You know, you tell me one thing and then you tell it something else. You can't do it that way in this life. And that was how I found out about my old man. It's crazy to think that it took Anthony to put a guy in hospital for all of this to come out. This next part about his dad is staggering. The man was as deceptive as they come. But my old man was a master. He had more traps set in the house. We had one he made in my closet. I had a closet in the house. He opened it up. There was all the clothes, and you had the, the boards and everything on the floor. He had a button. Where when you would press the button, the floor would open up, and it would be opened up. He used to put guns over there, and he used to close again. You'd, you could tap on it all you want. It wouldn't make no sound. Then there was a, a wall between where my bedroom used to be with my grandfather and my mother's and father's room. He opened up the whole section over there. And it has drawers that you could sleep. You know, like the, the, the doors that used to go into the wall? He made a deal like that. You opened it up and all the guns and the rifles and everything was lined up on there. Slide it in, the thing closes, it locks. You never know you never know who was there. He made one in the cellar. He was working for about two weeks. What the fuck are you doing that? He goes, don't worry about it. When it's done, I'll show you. I'm saying, what the fuck is he making? He gets all done. He says, come down. I said, all right, come down there. He goes, what do you see? I said, I don't see a fucking thing. What'd you do down there? I heard crunching, banging, this, that, machine, fucking jackhammers. Don't worry about it. He goes, good. He goes, come with me. We go towards the back of the cellar. He says, you see the light bulb? I says, yeah. He goes, pull the chain twice. I pull it twice. I said, the fucking light don't work. He said, pull it twice. I did it. He goes, I said, no. He says, come over there. He goes, hit that switch over there. So I hit that switch, and all of a sudden, I hear like a little rumbling. He goes, come on, let's go to the front of the house. We're in the basement. Walking to the front, the whole fucking floor opened up, the way he set it up. The whole fuck, you had to pull the switch twice, and then you had to flip that, and then the floor opened up. If you didn't, if you did one, but if you didn't do it the right way, the floor wouldn't open up. He had fucking, oh, forget about it, he had fucking hand grenades in this fucking thing. 
He had silencers, machine guns, you, you name the fucking way. The only thing he didn't have in there was a fucking bazooka. Okay, not exactly your normal household by the sound of it. To round it all off, as you heard off the top of the episode, Anthony, how did your father get his nickname? My father died in 2001. He was 80. My father worked up until he got sick. He was 78 years old. He was 78 when he did his last piece of work. He loved, he loved to do it. He loved to do work, my father. I gotta tell you. He never wanted to be a made guy. He never wanted to be owned or anything, as he used to put it. He never wanted that. He wanted to be his own man, do what he wanted. And that's what he done. He picked and chose who he wanted to work for. Like when the commission would call him, they would say, for argument's sake, they would say, uh, it's like little Nicky Scarfo up in Philly. He's got a piece of work he needs to be done. My father would say, okay. Or you come back to Brooklyn and say, Vito Genovese needs a piece of work. No, I don't want to do it for him. Okay, fine. You know, he picked and chose who he wanted, but they paid him big fucking money, my father. My father's nickname was Top. And I remember when Tom DeBella was telling me and and uh, Carmine Lombardozzi, they said, why do you think they call your father Top? This is before I found out. So I don't know why. He goes, because he's tops at what he does. When he goes out to do something, it's done. There's no coming back. It's done. It's not a thing where the guy lived for two or three. No, the guy's gone, dead. He's tops at what he does. That's how he got the nickname Tom. Frank Salvatore Raimondi, the definition of a quiet and deadly assassin. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Now that we're all aware what Anthony's dad was all about, it's time to get back to his story. And boy, if you thought things were hectic in Vietnam in earlier episodes, then what's around the corner is beyond comprehension. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Next time on The Enforcer. A few days later, a fucking box comes to my house like this. Not that thick. I open up the fucking stocks. $100 denominations each one. $100, $1,000. Holy fucking shit. The Enforcer is a Podular Media production in conjunction with 360 DMG and recorded at Carpe VM Studios, New York. All music copyright is owned by Epidemic Sound. Narration, storyboarding, and audio production by Rob Crawford. Scripting and storyboarding by Adrian Horton. Interviewing and research by Robert Huxley. On-site recordings from Charles De Beneditis, Rod Marcus, Rod Nunez, and Jeff Rao. The Enforcer is based on When the Bullet Hits the Bone, the amazing and possibly true life story of the last Mafia Enforcer. All accounts and claims are that of Anthony Raimondi.